I got to tell you a story this morning. Now, this story is kind of telling on me a little bit, and hopefully that'll be okay. When I was about 12 years old, I was carrying a motorcycle helmet because I was going to take it and I was going to ride my bike. That's kind of doofus like. <laughs> but here I was, going to take my bike. It was a five speed, and I was going to take my five speed. You never heard of a five speed? Well, it's a five speed with this thing on the, on the front that just one, two, three, four, five, yeah. Ten speed, didn't even know how that went at that point. But five speed, and I was going to go outside, and I was opening the door, and the helmet accidentally hit the door, and it sounded like I was mad about something. And, I, and maybe, I can't remember what happened just prior to that moment, but it sounded like I was mad, and I slammed and hit the door. And my mom said, as she always did then, something to the effect of, come back in here, Matthew Lee Douglas. So I walked back in there, and she said, if you're going to be mad, keep it inside, but if you're going to be mad and hit the door, I'm going to need you to apologize to the door. It could have been anything worse than that. But this one time, my mom said, I need you to go apologize to the door. And because it's so bad, I'm going to make you kiss the door and tell it you're sorry. So that's exactly what I did. I thought, I didn't even do this on purpose, but I still have to do it. So it took me it took to the door, and mom watched me, and I took the door, and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and kissed it. And that was my punishment. Well, <laughs> I've never let her down from that day on because... Uh, I've never seen anybody ever have to do that before. But here I was having to kiss the door. And uh, I, I remember having to uh, do this, and she said sometime later, I don't know if it was years later after we talked about it again, because it's usually one of the things I talked to her about. Do you remember when I had to kiss the door? Yeah, that kind of thing. But she said, we were trying to teach you that the things that you do and the words that you say are really important. And if you're going to apologize, it's going to really mean it. Because there's too many young children that they'll say the words, but they don't really mean it. But you must understand that words are exceptionally powerful. See, the idea of words being powerful is not our, our world's view of our words being powerful. You see, there's a lot of talk in our, our world today that says knowledge is power. As if by having knowledge, you'll be more powerful. And, and in a sense, that's true, but it's not power. It's more like able. You're able to do things, you're able to understand things, you're able to influence people, but it's not actual power, it's understanding. But the idea of where the word is powerful comes from one element, his name is God. And today, we're going to continue on the idea of the word. Now last week, we were talking the difference between Lagos and Rhema. I want to take another side of this. Because if all we ever understand is the Rhema of God, then we're going to miss the Lagos of God, and I don't want to do that. And we're under the overarching series of faith because we will not understand faith or have more faith until we understand the rhema of God as well as the logos of God. But even the logos of God comes in from the character of God. So if you will, I want you to first start in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. I remember my mother saying this one time along the way when we were talking about having to talk to that door having to speak words that were important for that door. Now, my door did not have ears on it, and it wasn't listening, but she was making in me a principle of the understanding of what my words do. So whenever I was apologizing to my door and giving it a nice little nuzzle and a kiss, it was to try to teach me something that was beyond actually just controlling my temper. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this. Death and life. Say, death and life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it, either death or life, will eat its fruit. In other words, death and life, the power of that is in the tongue. The tongue has the ability to bring life or the ability to bring death. 
And those that love either of those will eat its fruit. In other words, the result of those things, either death words or life words, will have its result in our lives. Now, but it goes beyond that. Now, that was the beginning of my understanding of it. But in the years since then, I've studied and studied, and I need you to know there are about 1,300 verses that we could go through. And I just poured through verses this week as much as I could to try to get an understanding in it. I don't think I'll get through it. But to understand the idea that we're trying to get through today, I'm going to try to take parts and pieces of it. And if I have to do it into a couple of different messages, we'll do that. But before we do, I want us to remind ourselves what the Word of God is. Take your Bible, raise it up and say, Lord Jesus, this is your Word. You sent it to heal us and change us. It's above us. It's true. It's always true. Even if I don't understand it, it's true. It's good seed. So plant this good seed in this good soil. In Jesus' name. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And of course, that's where we're going to start. If you're going to begin to understand something about God, you probably really need to start in the beginning rather than in the middle or at the end. Because God began to reveal himself from the very first pages of written scripture, of written word, and he has been revealing himself since then. So let's begin in the beginning and kind of try to move a little bit through scripture to understand a few things. Genesis 1, chapter 1. I want you to know that I had a long conversation a couple weeks ago with somebody who does not believe that the word of God is the word of God. He says it's kind of the word of God. In fact, he says, how can you look at the Genesis passage and say that's true? He said, come on, everything that everybody sees today, how could you have light come before the sun? I said... So, could God have created light before the sun actually to produce it? Yeah, absolutely, because God can produce, because he's the source, not the sun. God is the source of light, not, not the sun. I have no problem with this being exactly 100% true. Besides, it seems as though Jesus, the apostles, and all the writers of Scripture look at it as 100% true, not to mention Scripture says his word will never, ever fail and even though the earth and the heavens may pass away his world will not and then Jesus said every jot and tittle was exactly what God wanted to write so that means every single one then when into first Timothy it says that all scripture and it was mostly talking about the Old Testament at this point all scripture is inspired by God inspired means he breathed it out and if God breathed it out then I don't think it's going to be contradictory to his nature because God cannot lie because if God could lie then we need to find another God because if God is contradictory to himself, then he's probably not smart enough to know that he's contradicting himself. So God, who inspired the word, is going to say exactly what God wanted to say, every word of it. Got it? Here we go. John, uh, John Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, say, then God said. Let there be light, and there was light. And here is the, and I could read through all of this. You know the rest of it. There were six days where he created just by speaking. In fact, Scripture says he created out of nothing something. It says that God created ex nihilo. You've probably heard that before. That's actually Latin, so you don't really need to know it. But it's basically this idea that God created from nothing all that was. Not, he didn't take something that was already there. Because if he created the earth and the heavens from something that was already there... Then who created that something that was already there? And we should look for that God. But he created out of nothing something and everything. 
But how did he do it? By his spoken word. There begins to be a relationship between the word, the spoken word, the word of God, and power. From here through the rest of Scripture, there's a lot of different concepts that come out of the idea of the Word of God. The Word, the Word, the Word. But I'm going to trace one of those aspects, and this is the aspect of the Word and the power of God. Just so you know that from here, you already see a picture of the Spirit of God and the Word of God together. The Spirit of God was there present along with the Word of God. So anything the Spirit of God is going to say is going to be completely lining up with the word that's already revealed. It's the same idea. If the Spirit of God was to say something right now that was something that was different than what the word of God was speaking, then one of them is wrong. Either the word of God or God himself, the Spirit of God. And since God cannot contradict himself, because if he did, he would not be the right God. So the word of God and the Spirit of God must always be the same. And if we hear wrong or we understand wrong, it's us. It's not the word of God. I know I'm building a whole lot of stuff here, but, but I want you to see something else. Turn, keep your fingers in Genesis because we'll go back to that basic area. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. You're going from end to end here for a second. This is part of the faith chapter of Scripture, the hall of faith. Verse 1 and 2 were just an explanation of what faith itself is. But then it begins to explain the first things that we need to understand with faith. And it says this in verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared or made or created. By the word of God, so that, that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So he's basically reiterating what the Old Testament was saying. That the worlds were made by God, not by things that were made, or that were already present, but by things that were not present. He took them out of things that were nowhere and became this somewhere. And he did it by his word. So throughout scripture, we're understanding the idea that the word of God is powerful. Okay, now come back to Genesis if you could. Turn to Genesis chapter 11, and I want you to see that right off the bat, we're going to see a problem with words. Remember this story, and all we're going to do is look at verse 1. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. The idea is this, that those people in all of the world is getting ready to come together and build this thing called the Tower of Babel, which is going to try to reach God. What does God confuse? He could have done a lot of things if he was going to uh, change what was going to happen. Remember, this kind of religion was not trying to get to God on the way that God said he wanted to be gotten to. They were trying to make a name for themselves and make their own religion, their own way to get to God. And God said, this will not happen. And he confuses their language. He changes their way their words would have power. He doesn't change the way that they look. He doesn't change where they live. He didn't just transport them. He just did one single thing. He changed their ability to communicate to each other. Again, words have power. And this way, and what he's doing here is he's confusing the ability of words to have as much power. But we must move on from there. Turn to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, I'm giving you a sort of a pass through scripture here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Now, if you remember, Moses was off the scene. He just died. Joshua is getting ready to take over the leadership of the children of Israel in the desert. Remember, as you get from the left side of Scripture to the right side of Scripture, the Lord is building an understanding. It's called the progress of revelation. It starts out as a little bit of information that grows and grows and grows. So that by the time of revelation, it's full understanding that the Lord wants the people to have. But here we are in Joshua 1, 8. There's a little bit more understanding. He says in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1, this book of the law. And what do you think the book of the law is at this point for Joshua? That's right, the first five books. 
All Joshua had at this point was the books that Moses had already written. They're called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it's called the Pentateuch. Say the Pentateuch. Pente means five. Pentateuch means the five books of the law. So the Lord is saying to Joshua, he's saying, this book of the law shall not depart from your what? It doesn't say from your mind, does it? It doesn't say this book of the law is something I need to have in your mind so that you can understand how you live your life. As if it's a mind thing. That's not it. He's saying this book of the law shall not depart your mouth. It doesn't mean so that he's reading it. It's so that he can profess it and confess it. So that it's part of his speech, not just part of his mind and his actions. He's saying, God is saying to Joshua, it will be part of your mouth. But read on. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do it according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. So here's the whole picture of it. He says, it shall not depart from your mouth. You're going to think about it. It's true, but it's not going to depart from your mouth. You're going to meditate on it. And you're thinking about it, ruminate over it, and so that it has an effect on the way that you live, but it will not depart your mouth. And by doing so, then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. So again, we're talking about the Word of God having an effect, a powerful effect. And it's not, at this point, talking about the written Word. Now, it's talking about reading the written Word. But where's that Word supposed to come to? Our mouths. The spoken written Word. There's the written Word. Remember last week I said that there's two forms of the Greek word, Word. You've got Lagos and you've got Rhema. Rhema is mostly about the spoken living right now word. The Lagos is, is often about the written word. So he's talking about the writer of Joshua is by the inspiration of God. God is saying to Joshua, I want you to keep the written word in you, but let it come always from your mouth. And then you will be prosperous. It's got to be on your mouth, not just in your heart, not just putting it in your heart and not just memorizing it, but it must be on your Lips. Again, God speaks and there's power. And Joshua is supposed to have the word of God on his lips so that they would have a powerful effect. We're talking about something other than just studying this thing so that we have information in our minds, nicely categorized in a nice linear thought. Rather, he's saying it's going to be part of your speaking. Now, I want you to see a short picture of it. Turn quickly to Joshua chapter 6. You know this story, but I need you to see in relationship to this understanding of the word on the lips. And here's an example. Now, just so you know, this is the very first battle coming into the land of promise. Remember, any time that we're talking about the children of Israel wandering in the desert and then going into the land of promise, it's supposed to be an example and a picture of our lives. The first place that you and I learn to fight the battles of the giants in the land of our promise is this one. It's Jericho. There's a whole lot of understanding about Jericho. But one part of it is they needed to learn to speak the word of God out of their mouths. And he's trying to teach it here. Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city. All the men were circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. I've talked about that. That's the word teruah. Teruah is not just a shout of, yeah. It's a shout of praise and rejoicing. 
It's not a scream like you do on the battlefield if you're going to charge the other people. Ah, try to scare them. It wasn't that. It was actually a scream and a shout to God of his victory. That's the kind of shout this was. And with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. And this is what I'm told by those that have seen the walls of Jericho. They seem to have been pushed into the ground rather than having fallen over. Rather than just kind of laying over like this. But let's read on. Verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Was the Ark of the Covenant represent? That's where the presence of God was. Remember the presence of God would go with the Ark of the Covenant in between the cherubim's wings, that kind of thing. Okay, going on. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night at the camp. So here, look at me just for a second. So for six days, that's all they did. They took the trumpets, and they actually were blowing during this time uh, for these six days before the Ark of the Covenant and the armed men. And they would go around it six times, six days. And they were instructed, do not let your voice be heard. Do not let the words come out of your mouth. He's trying to explain to them a few things. The word of God in our lips is powerful. I don't want you to use it yet until I'm ready for it. It's not going to be the blowing of the trumpets. It's not even going to be the presence of God. It's going to be when you shout words out of your mouth. It's not about having an understanding of that you will have the, the victory. It's not that. It's not internal. It's external. Remember, let's get this together. We've got three things we're seeing already. Number one, in the Genesis account, he spoke out and it became. The second one, Genesis 11, he didn't want them to be speaking out anymore, so they stopped, he stopped the ability for them to speak out. That's the Tower of Babel. That's number two, a negative example. Number three, for Joshua, he says, the word will not depart your lips, your mouth. So, and your mouth is used for speaking, not for hearing. I've never heard anything through my mouth. In fact, my mouth has never been used to understand anything theologically. I eat with it, and I speak with it. So that's the third example. And then we get to the fourth example here. Don't let your words of the rejoicing of God come out of your mouth until I'm ready but he's getting ready to explain when you do this, there's going to be a powerful result. Now go down to verse 15. So for six days they did this. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. <laughs> at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Go down to verse 20. So the people shouted, and priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, and every man straight ahead, and they took the city. In other words, they plundered the city. But that's not the only thing. They plundered the city, that's reward, and they utterly destroyed everything in the city. So it was plundering and destroying the enemy. Seeing two things. The word of God out of our lips is powerful both for the destruction of enemy and gaining reward. Do you like this? Is it better than having to work for everything you get from God? As if you had to 
do all these things. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to be obedient. He does. There is work for us to do. But you must understand that the Word of God is spiritually powerful. In fact, the New Testament, Paul's writings, he says, the words are spiritual words. They are different than just normal, everyday words. Which is why if you do sing a country song, woohoo! In fact, one day, I'll tell you this, there was a young woman who was going to sing this song, and it was about Jesus Christ, but the song was about... It was kind of like the, okay, I'm going to step on a few toes. Sorry about that. Rub them already. Okay. We're all rubbed your little toes. Good. Uh, so it's kind of like the song uh, that Carrie Underwood sings is Jesus Take the Wheel. It's a lovely song. Love that song. It's really very soft. It doesn't say, believe in Jesus Christ and he shall be saved or anything like that, which is much more powerful because it's very close to the word of God. It was a song like that. It was basically said, I wish I was there to hold your little hand and, and change your little diaper and stuff like that. And it's like, Okay, what does that really do for the kingdom of God? Not much. doesn't do much because we're not really the word of God. She couldn't understand it because she thought it was about that, that ministering to people was about ministering to their emotions. I need you to understand that we are not here to minister to your emotions. You might have some emotions to minister to. Those are called felt needs. But we, what we understand around here is we need to be ministered by the power of God not just by the niceties of people or nostalgia. That will not change us. It will not shape us. It will not encourage us. It will not cause us to be more powerful in God. It might make us feel good. It might leave walking away going, oh, isn't that sweet? Touch his little head. No, how about fall on your little knees? All right, so. So we're understanding a few things. Number one, that the word of God is powerful and it's supposed to be spoken Results of coming out of our lips is both destruction of enemy and gaining reward rather than having to do all these things in order to do these rewards. Now, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. I'm certain you remember this verse. I've been hitting on this, the same verse, kind of a central verse. This is part of the faith message that we've been talking about a long time, and I need you to understand we're going to go overboard on purpose so that we'll, our faith will actually rise. And once our faith has actually risen, we can get off of this, and I'll really beat another point until it's buried into our, our memory. Verse 19, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive the demon out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of mustard seed, you will say, say, say with me, Say. It doesn't say, believe in your heart. It doesn't say, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will believe in your heart and your theology shall be so correctly stated that the mountains shall thusly be then moved. It doesn't. It says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you will speak it out of your mouth. Remember what I said a little bit earlier from Proverbs. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Don't humanize that to say it's about encouragement or discouragement. It's about praising somebody for doing something good or cutting them down by the bad things you say. It's not about sticks and stones shall break my bones, but names and faces shall never hurt me. It's not about that. And that all has some truth to it. This is talking about power, God divine type of power in our lips. If we speak the word of God, and now I'm going back to the Logos word of God, the written word of God, because that's what Joshua said. Let this word be in you, but let it be on your lips and meditate on that and let that be on your lips. 
So yes, I've been talking for a long time about hearing the voice of God because for the most part in our area, all we do is listen to the written word of God and we try to put this in our heads and that's good. It's got to be in our hearts. But we have forgotten the idea of hearing his voice and living on that because it says, by that shall we live. However, we've also been remiss. How much are we speaking the word of God? How much are we living with this on our lips? How many times when somebody says, I got a problem, and what comes to your mind is something that you say through your lips, that's the word of God. That's what's powerful. And I know, listen, I know when somebody's going through trouble, sometimes they don't want to hear the word of God. Sometimes they don't because they're saying, I know all that. But remember, it's not about knowing. It's about the power of God. So let me just tell you something. Pastor Cedric came to Jill's, Pastor Cedric and Joyce came to Jill's, um, I'm sorry to use Jill as an example every single week. <laughs> but boy, is she good fodder for illustrations right now. She came, they came to, to uh, the bedside of, of Jill and she's actually doing really good. And, and it could have been nice small talk. But Pastor Cedric has learned this. He quoted scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And he was there for 30 minutes. And he just kept quoting scripture. And he, he just kept coming back to that. And yes, we, and every once in a while, yeah, we're pastors and we know all this stuff. I've heard every one of those. But you know what? After a while, it starts sinking in again. But it's not just about sinking in. I don't care if it sinks in. It doesn't even matter if it sinks in. It doesn't even matter if I agree with it. It doesn't even matter if I've heard it a thousand times. The word of God, which is supposed to be on our lips, is powerful. And he understands that. And if he's going to be speaking the word of God, it's going to have an effect, first against the enemy of cancer, and secondly, it's going to be a reward of healing. Do you understand? So that whenever he's there, he's saying, we will do this. And he stood in agreement. And he said, we're going to believe for this. We also understand that we will let God have the results. But we know this. We must speak out of our mouths the word of God. And let that be powerful. And yes, hugging and all that stuff. And yes, they hugged my wife and they kissed her and all that kind of stuff. But it was not, that was not going to change her life. It's going to change her emotions. And that's wonderful. And we must encourage one another. But when it's talking about power, it's the words out our mouth so here's where we're at today tomorrow and the next day one of the other reasons we study this the written the logos portion of the scripture is so that we can meditate it on a day and night so that it will start coming out of our lips not just in our minds so that when we get to a Sunday school class we have the right answers as if that does any good that's not where the Word of God is supposed to be. You know the Word of God is supposed to be? Everywhere that we are, when we're in our workplace and somebody says something and you say, but the Word of God says this. You know why? Scripture tells us that the Word of God will not return void. But it will go out and accomplish what God has sent it to do. When we speak the Word of God, it goes out and offends whoever it's going to offend because it's probably going to offend people. But it will have its effect. It's not about logically trying to turn people's minds. These are spiritual words that are spiritually discerned. And if we're trying to logically get somebody into the kingdom, it's not going to work. It must become spiritual thoughts. So let the word of God come out of your mouth. Let it dwell so richly within us that it comes out of our mouths. And whenever it comes out of our mouths, it's powerful. It's divinely powerful to the breaking of strongholds, to taking everything that these people have built and building their lives on. They're building their lives on atheism and humanism and selfism and everything other idol that a man can get. Those are the strongholds that are in people's lives, but we place the word of God and it breaks it down. It does. And that's our job. 
to have it in our mouths to come out. And it will not, Scripture promises, it will not return void, not returning to us. It will not return to God void. It will have its work in that person's or that event's life. So this is a day-to-day, moment-by-moment kind of an action. When you have the Word of God, it must be spoken. You can still say it in love. And you know, you might as well say it in love because if you say it in anger or something like that, then the Word will still have its accomplishment, like it or not, whether they like it or not, but they're probably going to hate you. (laughs) That doesn't help much. Then you're not much of a witness. But the Word of God is still the Word of God. So how do you know what to say in certain moments? Well, if you don't have it in, it's not going to come out. If you're not studying it, how do you think you're going to have anything to say to somebody? Seminary and going to Bible school is really not about having more information as much as it is having an armory full of words that God wants to place through you. So here's the reality, people. We must study this. We must. God and His Word are always going to be in perfect union. And they are spiritual words with divine power. And whenever we speak them out of our mouths, they have power that's beyond us and it goes beyond us and it's beyond our logic and it changes people events and situations so here's what we do every night a couple times during the day but every night Jill and I speak life over my wife I speak to her and guess what I speak to the mountain I put my hands on her belly as softly as I can and I say you be healed in Jesus name then I quote as many scriptures as I can think of at that moment Here's my favorite one lately from Psalm 103. Listen to this one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless his holy name. So I say to that belly, belly, Scripture says everything in you is supposed to bless the Lord. And you're not blessing the Lord right now. Bad little cancer cells. So I'm saying to you, mountain, you need to be removed in Jesus' name. What's in your life? What's the stinking mountain that you're dealing with? We all got them. Kind of like giants in the land. You've got a promised land the Lord wants to bring you into, and you've got giants. So do I. We all got giants in this land. Let's just do it together and start believing together and start speaking the word. I know I hit all the time the idea of listening to God. Absolutely. But listening to the voice of God, you know what he's going to tell us to do? You're asking a question, and the Lord said, I've already told you what to do. So where are you supposed to go if he's already told you what to do? Well, first of all, you're going to go to Scripture, and that's where you start. Our lives must be built on the Word of God from both perspectives, but you've already got this. Study it so that the Word of God can have its effect on you first. And then you can proclaim it. So here's the thing. Let me get right to the end of it. Your life, mine, with all of our giants, if we're trying to do it by our own power, our own logic, and our own knowledge, our own training, our own experience, you need the word of God to speak it. Start speaking truth. Let it be coming out of your mouth so that it will have its own powerful effect. You got sickness, you got disease, you got financial problems, you got family problems, you got whatever your problems you got. You got something that you're trying to get. For instance, the Lord is saying, I want you to do this in your life. And you know this is something the Lord wants you to do. You start speaking truth. You start speaking the word. 
You start letting it come out of your mouth over that situation. You say, here's my situation. I don't know what it is, good or bad. Remember, the word of God is for destroying, utterly destroying the enemy and for gaining reward, plundering the enemy so that you're rewarded because Satan has been stealing from all of us a whole long time. And he wants, God wants to give you his plunder. Plunder what Satan has plundered from you. Start speaking the word over it. I can't even tell you what those words are going to necessarily be. If you come to me for counseling, that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to bring him right back to the Word, and we'll try to find something that fits exactly what you need to be speaking over your situation. But it is out of your lips. It's not here. It's not just a theological understanding of, I believe it, I understand it, and it shall become to pass. No, no, no. You believe it here, you have it here, and you speak it here. Why don't you stand to your feet, band coming up. We're going to sing How Great Is Our God. And when you have no idea what to sing or what to say... You know what you do? You praise because all these praise things are announcing to whatever your situation is that God is greater than those things. So yes, whenever you're singing, you're singing those as a proclamation of truth. Because we know Scripture says throughout Scripture that He's great, am I right? He's a great God. He's a mighty to save. There's no other name by which we're saved. That every name shall have to bow to that name. All this kind of stuff, that's truth that comes out of our mouths and it has the right kind of effect. So whenever you're singing and worshiping and praising, it is not so that we have a great experience here. Not just. That is true. And it is also to praise Him. But when we do, we're also giving into the powerful nature of the words of God. So let's sing together and let's sing words to Him. And every one of those lines that was close to Scripture, that was proclaiming a scriptural name above all names, all those, those that proclaim truth, they go out they accomplish in your life what they're sent to do don't stop proclaiming the word of God Satan wants to defeat us by stopping the word of God because it's true if the word of God is true and it destroys his lies he's the father of lies and God is the God of all truth so don't let him defeat you let him proclaim his truth over your life don't let Satan tell you you have no future, no hope. His reward, it, he's coming with it. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. Don't let Satan tell you it's not for you. It is for you. It's for you. And Satan is defeated. He doesn't want you to defeat him more. He's already been publicly displayed on the cross. But he's trying to be exposed in your life as if he's some kind of victor. And he's laughing a lot in the United States these days. All we have to do is say you are defeated because you were publicly proclaimed on the cross and defeated. He is defeated. Keep him defeated. Don't let him win. Lord Jesus, as we come into this week of thanksgiving, we mostly want to give thanks to you by your word, speaking your word that you are the victor. You are the victor. And we are overcomers because of the word and our testimony of you. We are victors in Jesus Christ. So congregation this week, as you go into Thanksgiving, I don't care if you are, if you're the one asked to pray and you've got other non-believers around you, I know that you're going to have to be careful. But while you're praying, use the word. Let it have its effect. Do it in love. The congregation, speak the word over your life and your family's life. And let it have its effect.
and love them. Love those people that are around you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless this congregation, Lord. May they go out and win their lost family members. May they go out and win those that are around them in their workplace, in their, their neighborhoods, speaking the word in love. And Lord Jesus, we know that your word does not return void. So we speak it both boldly, carefully, but truthfully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Have a great week. See you Sunday morning. God bless you. You're dismissed.